Okay, great. Hey, it's Kevin Bossemeyer with UCI Conversations here in the Crystal Cove Auditorium. And I just experienced an amazing moot court, and I'm still not sure what it was all about. And I'm here with... Emma McBurney, president of this year's UCI Law Moot Court Executive Board. Fantastic. Can you please tell us what this event was? Moot Court is a competition that many law schools host where students compete in a false or fake appellate environment. So they pair up in the fall and two students will write a brief, so they're responding to a legal issue. At UCI, we pick a contemporary legal issue that exists out in the real world, and they write a brief on a side of their choosing, whether for or against a particular issue. Once they've submitted the briefs, they enter into the oral advocacy portion of the competition, which you witnessed the culmination of today. And we started with around 50 students in the fall, And in October and November, we had preliminary rounds. So much like today, we had three judges and two students compete, and they would score them. And the top 16 students for brief writing and for oral advocacy advanced into the January rounds. So we had a round of 16, 8, 4, and then today the final round of 2. And in this final round, we had sitting judges throughout the competition. It can be judges or attorneys who sit as fictional judges, and it really simulates what it would be like to go watch oral argument in either the California Court of Appeal or, say, something like the Ninth Circuit. So the students are participating at the exact same level, as the judges said today, as many seasoned attorneys and certainly many starting out attorneys. And for me, last year, it actually led to my summer job because I learned what appellate advocacy was and fell in love with it. And so I see it as a wonderful opportunity to student for students to experience that particular area of law that they might not have beforehand and also just to hone their oral advocacy skills and their research and writing. And you said appellate advocacy? Appellate advocacy. What is unique about that or what interested you about that? So it's different than a trial court. So the trial court, you present witnesses, you present evidence, you might have a jury, whether it's civil or criminal, and the jury or in a bench trial, the judge reaches a conclusion on a particular issue, whether it was they committed the murder or you owe the insurance payout of X amount of money. You can then appeal that judgment to the next level of the court. So that's the level that we're at here. A trial court has made a decision on a legal issue, and now the two parties are contesting that decision at the appellate level. So it's limited in scope. You can't introduce new evidence. So you're restricted to only the record that was presented at trial. So there could be this wonderful piece of information out there that makes your case, but if it wasn't brought at the trial level, you can't use it. And it's almost exclusively arguments of legal issues rather than fact. So you're not saying we did find a bloody knife and that exists. It's whether or not that knife could legally be admitted into the trial at issue. Very interesting. Today's issue, so UCI law traditionally picks a case that exists in the real world that has been heard in multiple states and different appellate judges have come out differently on that particular issue. And sometimes they've even gone up to petition the Supreme Court to hear it. But we like to pick cases where the Supreme Court isn't going to take it so that the students don't get the answer from the Supreme Court before the competition ends. And today's case, we picked a particular law in Florida called the Firearm Owners Protection Act. Florida legislature created a rule preventing doctors from asking patients about firearm ownership in the home. Doctors had been asking because they were concerned about gun fatalities and gun injuries based off of how you store your guns. And, you know, if you have a gun in the home with young children, the statistics are not great. If you aren't 
properly taken care of or locking that gun away. And I think you might have heard today there were six instances of people who were very upset that their doctor asked them about this. And so the legislature responded by creating a law saying doctors couldn't ask about that unless they had a reasonable belief that there was harm rather than just we're checking who all has guns and making sure that you've locked it away safely. And that had been heard at the appellate level and we know firearm ownership is a contentious issue in the country right now so we try and pick something topical that the students can really sink their teeth into. As a non-lawyer being here I can't tell you who won. Can you tell us? I can tell you who won. The petitioner won, and that is the government. So they're the ones who are petitioning to keep the legislation as it is. And many of us aspiring lawyers and or current lawyers also had a hard time just picking out who won. I don't know if you heard the judges said it was a 2-1 vote. So they weren't even unanimous because they were both so wonderful today, which is lovely and and heartbreaking, I'm sure, (laughs) for both of them in different ways. So it is it was ruled that it's legal that doctors can ask under circumstances that it may be a danger in the family or the home. Yeah, so basically the court was saying that the legislature, the state legislature in Florida's law that they created, this rule, wasn't a violation of Second Amendment rights. Which was the argument was basically, I have a right to bear arms and asking me these questions is a violation of that. And I think I just said that backwards. (laughs) So basically this is why it is, it's a little bit of a confusing case because it's the doctor's First Amendment rights where can they speak and then it's the firearm owner's second amendment rights can they have a gun and the court said the legislature was okay limiting the doctor's first amendment speech rights in order to protect the second amendment rights of patients and you're the president of the law society in the law school Uh, yeah so i'm president of the ucla moot court board so every year the previous year's competitors can try and join the board and then they run the next year's competition so it's a student run competition every year it's a new set of sort of five or six students who run it so I think you might have heard me say students wrote the bench brief so what the judges read and some of the questions that they had were actually produced for them by other board members we organize reaching out to all the judges and lawyers in the community to come in and judge a lot of rounds in the fall and in the winter and next year hopefully we will have another five or so students who are willing to take on the uh, take on the job fantastic you're still a student now yes I'm in my final semester fantastic all the best of luck thank you very much Great. So I'm here with one of the attorneys that just did the case. Could you please tell us your name and what position you were taking? My name is Catherine Rice. I am a law student at UCI, and I argued on behalf of Petitioner, which in this case is the state of Florida. And you were fighting for the right of doctors to be able to ask patients whether they had firearms? No, the opposite, actually. (laughs) It's okay. It's a really complex, convoluted issue almost. Um, And so the state of Florida passed a law that basically said that doctors couldn't do X, Y, and Z because it was against firearm owners. And so in the argument, we focused on whether or not that restriction violated the First Amendment, the doctor's First Amendment right. And the state of Florida is arguing that it did not because it has compelling enough interest to overcome the doctor's restriction, restricted speech. So even if it affects the doctor's speech, it should be allowed because of all of these interests. And then the other side is a group of doctors that challenged the law the day after it came out. So it hasn't been enacted yet. So how long have you been at UCI? I am a 2L, so this is my 
fourth semester. Okay, and how does it work when you're a 2L? How many how many L's are there? There are three L's. <laughs> there are three L's, three years. So I am a little bit more than halfway done. Okay. And How's it going? It's going well. It's, it's hard to believe that it's almost halfway done. I just remember watching this as a 1L last year, a year ago, and thinking there's no way, and then... Uh, a year goes by and a lot, a lot changes. So, you did an outstanding job. How did you feel coming in to last year? Where you're like, yeah, I really want to do that. Was there any question, any uncertainty? Well, I was just really impressed by the uh, class last year and how they argued their case, and so I knew that I wanted to be a part of it this year. Uh, it, it's an incredible opportunity to, to be able to argue in front of federal court judges and do so multiple times and not and not just once. So I think it's an amazing opportunity. I knew from the start that I was going to do it. I didn't know exactly how much work it would be. Uh, it was a lot of work for a long time, but uh, I wouldn't wouldn't change it. Yeah. How does it feel to win? <laughs> I it, it's amazing. I, I I don't really believe it, but there's a there's a lot of luck involved, and I have to recognize. I mean, all of the other amazing students that, for one reason or another, didn't make it. But just the fact that I was able to argue in front of those judges meant a lot. So it's great. I'll be glad if I never have to say the words "Firearm Owners Privacy Act" ever again. <laughs> so. That it's all good. Excellent. What's next? I would imagine this has been a huge project. What are you going to do with all your free time now? Oh, gosh. I'm actually going to read for all of my classes <laughs> and, you know, just focus on school for a while and get ready for the summer. We all, law students, always go and work at various places during the summer, and it's really important to it's a great learning experience, so I'm just trying to prepare for that. At one part during the argument, a judge asked you a question, and you had to respond, I don't know. And at the time, I thought, oh my gosh, she just said, I don't know, to the judge. <laughs> How, is that routine? Was that, were you like, oh, well, I got to just be transparent? It's, it's hard to draw the line and admit that you don't know something about your case. But the judge actually came up after and said, that's exactly what you should have said. If you don't know exactly in real life, what you would do is file a supplemental brief with the court. You'd say, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I don't have that information on hand, but I'll file it with the court later. I There's no supplemental briefings here, so I just kind of faulted on, defaulted on, I don't know. But the hardest part about oral argument is saying some, is trying not to say something that's going to dig you into a hole. And you have to admit when you don't know something because you don't want to dig yourself into a hole where 10 questions down the line, you have to admit you're wrong and you're bluffing the whole time. So, um, it, but I was worried about it, uh, to say the least, and to have the judge kind of reassure me after that that was the right thing to do. Was good. Excellent. Good job. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Great. So I'm standing here with three... What year are you guys in with in law school here? We're all two L's. Two L's. Okay. And what did you guys submit that you placed for? So we submitted a moot court brief, which is basically what would be submitted to the Supreme Court if we were real practicing attorneys. And it was on an issue related to a statute that prohibits doctors from asking questions about firearm ownership to their patients. At this point, do you know why you won or no? I would imagine you worked darn hard, all of you. Yeah. 
there was a lot of competitors, so it's hard to say why we know we won or why my brief was better because we haven't looked at anybody else's brief but our own. Um, but I do know that we put a lot of work into it and a lot of hours. So. Gotcha. What did you guys get from the experience? I see you got a trophy. We had never really written a brief like this before. Um, in your first year of law school, you write something similar, but it's like a much simpler version. Whereas this was like 15,000 words, like 50 pages. So it was definitely a learning process. So I feel like we learned a lot about how to write something like this. Fantastic. And will you guys compete again next year? Probably not in an internal competition, but we have considered moving into positions on the board, gotcha. and then we would not be able to compete. And then potentially competing externally against other schools. Will that come up this year, or is it is it something that you seek outside of school, or is it part of school? Oh, outside. Yeah, so we seek it. There's multiple different competitions that we can seek out and apply for through UCI, and then the process would probably start in September or so, depending on which one that we decide to go into. Gotcha. So how did you guys decide law school? Was it in your blood? You always knew you were going to be lawyers or how did that evolve? You, sir. Oh, why law school? I know what I want to do after law school and I know why I wanted to come in. I want to go into public defense and the reason why I wanted to come into law school was to somehow make a difference and do something different like that. But, but yeah, right now I know exactly what I want to do after law school, but law school was kind of just like, it was a blend of what I was good at, and it was like the next step after university, and it was a way to practice skills that I already felt very strong at. And what was your name? Uh, Chris. And your last name, Chris? Smallwood. And what's your name? Kate Wetz. Kate? Wetz. Wetz. Yeah. And why'd you decide on law school? So I was a business major in undergrad, and I enjoyed it, but I just knew it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So I joined my school's mock trial team, and after that, it was kind of just, I finally figured out that that's exactly what I wanted to do. So yeah, I want to do litigation, and that's what I'm in law school taking classes and studying for. Fantastic. And your name and why? Um, Desiree Murray, and I kind of always knew I wanted to go to law school. I did my undergrad in Washington, D.C. I majored in political science. I did a lot of work on Capitol Hill and the government, and I decided that I wanted to learn more about the, the legal side instead of the political side. It's more appealing, so I knew that I wanted to end up here. And I also want to go into litigation as well. How's it going at UCI? I love UCI. I've had only a pleasant experience here. I moved to California for the first time for law school from the other side of the country, and I'm very happy I did. Congratulations, you guys. My final guest today is the faculty advisor for the Moot Court, Professor Michael Robinson Dorn. How did it go this year? Oh, I think it was a, a great event. The students were so well prepared and so effective as advocates. The judges, unsurprisingly, uh, so uh, hot, right? That's what we call a hot bench. Rapid fire questions, uh, demonstrating their knowledge and their commitment to the program. And then, of course, we had uh, great support. Uh, for it. So I think it was a, a wonderful event. Fantastic. First of all, how many years have you been involved? Well, I started right from the very first moot court that we've had here along with Dean Chemerinsky. So that would have been 2010-2011 school okay. year. And does it 
differ from year to year or is it a you know do unique things happen from year to year or is it you know generally kind of the same anything anything come to mind Uh, that's a good question I think uh, each year is different in a way uh, because we always have a different problem that the students are arguing but we have different students and we have a different panel of judges but I think the thing that strikes me is the consistency year over year you, the, the quality of the students in the final, as you saw, the commitment that these judges bring, you know, they're doing it as a volunteer matter as well. And the commitment that they demonstrate in their preparation. And then the board who puts on such a great event year in, year out. And again, they get no credit for it either. It, it's purely voluntary. Excellent. So any particular memorable moments this year? Any unique problems, student insecurities? I think one from the argument uh, that just took place comes to mind. And that is uh, when when Judge Bennett, pretty early on in the argument, asked uh, the petitioner, Katie Rice, a question about the district court's use of a Supreme Court precedent. And he asked about a footnote in a district court opinion. A very difficult question. And you could see everyone in the audience knew that, that the judge had come well prepared. And Ms. Rice sort of gathered herself and then uh, just knocked the answer out of the park. And you could even see the smile on the judge's face. And I think from that moment on, you knew that, that this was going to be a good argument. Very good. As an advisor, do you have a particular style that you use? Is you know what what's your what's your role as an advisor? Sure. Well, I think the first thing to note is I'm only one of two advisors. So the other advisor is Professor Crossgree Roberts, Rachel Crossgree Roberts, and and I think what we are are basically coaches and backstops for the students. As I said, the, this is a student-run event, uh, so we help them because the board comes on new each year and of course we've been there and so we can provide some consistency Uh, we can help them as they run into problems they write the bench brief we can help edit that with them anything that they need we're there but really it's a student run event and, and it's quite easy for us super for my show uci conversations this is my first endeavor into the law school is this the major event for this kind of an event in the law school, or are there others like it? Yeah, there, there are others like it. I think that the, the moot court is one of the highlights for uh, our students in terms of an extracurricular activity, uh, one that, that helps uh, those students hone their skills in advocacy and writing, uh, spotlights them, obviously, as, as they're... Um, presented but it's just one of many that we have at the law school we're very lucky and of course we're very lucky to have the sponsors that we do for this event Jones Day and Experian and all the support we get from the local bar and the judiciary so it's really a special event for the law school is it in terms of their sponsorship is there a financial need to have financial support or is or is there other kinds of support well I think there's certainly a need uh, you know this is an extracurricular event and quality of that event is enhanced by having external sponsors. And of course, it's not just financial. I mean, we we literally could not put this event on without alumni, members of the bar, you know, other attorneys, and the judiciary all helping as they judge earlier rounds. Oh, gotcha. Well, hey, we have a few more minutes left. Can we just talk about a few things like, I noticed the law school is a semester system. Is that, have I picked that up correctly? You did pick it up correctly. Is this the only school in the university that is semester? I haven't heard of that before. It may well be. It's quite 
quite typical for law schools. Uh, even those universities that are on quarter systems or law schools tend to be on semester systems. There are a couple of notable exceptions. Does a law school education lend itself to you? Yeah, we we need those longer class periods. I, I, yeah, I, I much prefer, and I think law school does lend itself to having a, a longer period rather than three quarters, two semesters. And the majority of law schools are semester systems, so a lot of the other activities, employment included, are all geared toward a semester-long system. Does UCI law emphasize any certain types of law, or is it a you know is it kind of full spectrum? I don't know much about law. Can you yeah. describe that a little bit? Well, I, I think we're, we're certainly a full spectrum, if, if you want to use that term. Uh, but uh, one of the signatures of the law school is certainly its emphasis on public service, and the other is an experiential learning. And so what you're seeing with the moot court is, is a form of experiential learning, uh, learning by doing. And the law school itself has prided itself from the very first day on making sure that there's a connection between what the students are learning and serving the public. So I'm interested to know, do law schools get characterized as liberal or conservative? I think certain schools certainly have different reputations. I wouldn't characterize our school on that spectrum. I think the way to look at our school is, are we a, a top law school or not? And certainly the university has put in the effort to ensure, along with the faculty and students, that we are a top law school. I prefer to think of it that way. And then are we serving the communities on a local, regional, national, and international scale uh, in order to make sure that, that we're really living up to uh, the commitment of being a University of California law school? And no lawyer can be an expert in everything. Is that a true statement? Yeah, 100%. What's your emphasis area? So uh, I, I focus on natural resources and environmental law. Okay. And I noticed that the proportion of men and women in the law school, there's a high proportion of women, 62%, men 38%. Is that a national trend? Is that, you know, what have you noticed? Is it particularly to UCI? Or? I, I think it, I, I don't know what the numbers are nationally. I think it is a national trend. We'd ex certainly expect to see that. I think uh, it's particularly important that we see that. I remember when I went to law school, and this is quite some time ago, it was among the first years that women at that law school uh, made up a majority, and it was a big deal. And now, I don't, you know, I think you can see the progress. It's not that big of a deal in the sense that uh, one would, would be surprised to see it. And, and I think it's extremely important that men and women are coming in based on their talent and not based on their gender. Do we need more men in in law school? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I'd, I'd leave I'd leave those numbers to someone else. I, you know, I think year on year in year out, the numbers fluctuate. I, you're surprising me even with you know what the number is, but I, I think that uh, we'd expect to see a balance. Gotcha, gotcha. And finally, Michael, I I have to ask this one trivia question: Robinson Dorn, where does where did the hyphen name come from? By marriage. I come. My wife's last name was Dorn. Yeah. She also teaches here at the law school. Oh, uh, my, my last name was Robinson. Yeah. And together we're Robinson Dorn. Okay, gotcha. Thanks a ton for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Look forward to talking with you again. The same.